want to remind you of something that Brother Blake and I frequently remind you of. When we preach, we want you. We want you to take what you hear from us and compare it directly to the Word of God. You know, you have that responsibility. And it's a biblical responsibility that you have to take what you hear preached from this pulpit or any pulpit and compare it directly to the Word of God. You know, a lot of false teaching would be cut off right at the very beginning if people did that, if people did it. Remember, no matter if you hear it here from this pulpit or from any pulpit, please, please compare what you hear to the Word of God. And I want you to know, Brother Blake and I will always proclaim that salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that is different than what we're going to see is happening in the text today. There were false teachers who had crept in and they were claiming that you had to follow legalism. And that is just simply not the case. It's Jesus only Jesus. Again, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. Hopefully we are going to examine the entire chapter this morning. But as Paul begins, remember he is writing a letter to the Galatians. He has formally been there. He has formally preached to them. He has formally taught them. They appear to have received his message, but then they are reverting back to legalism. So I think a lot of what we see Paul do in today's text, he is trying to make an appeal to them. He is trying to jolt them back into making a rational decision instead of following false teaching. And so when he begins this morning, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now, if we were thinking about this in present-day terms, let's imagine that a child suddenly becomes the recipient of their parents' estate, and they're still a child. They have not reached the legal age yet. What happens? There's somebody going to make the decisions for them, isn't it? That's what we would experience. That person is either already identified in the will or one will be appointed. A child is not capable of making adult decisions. They're not. And so Paul is equating them being childish because they want to return back to legalism. Adults and children have different responsibilities, both in life and, and also spiritually. Can you imagine if, if a child had just inherited a huge estate? They have no idea what the value of money is. What if they spent it all at the same time, which would be completely possible? So guardians and managers are needed. And Paul is using this to just tell them, hey, why go back to the law? Why go back to the law? That is childish. In verse 3, he says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Paul's using the word we here. He is including himself in this example of what life was like for him 
prior to his conversion to Christianity, he was enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And that's exactly what happens before we receive the grace of Jesus Christ. We are enslaved to the world, whether or not we realize it. And then in verse 4, we see that God has the answer to this dilemma that man is in. In the slavery that man is experiencing by following the law. Remember, the title of this morning's message is From Slaves to sons, from slaves to sons. You see, when the time was right, God sent his son into the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman under the law. And you know, a lot of times we think about this during Christmas time, don't we? We think of Jesus coming to the world at Christmas time. If you were with us this past December, Brother Blake and I took the month of December and we examined each of the four Gospels, specifically what they say about the birth of Jesus. And you know, I'll tell you, I am guilty a lot of times of thinking about the birth of Jesus in this way. The world needed a Savior. Joseph and Mary, because of the census, got on a donkey and they went to be counted. Jesus was born in a stable because there was no room in the inn. And everything is wonderful after that. You know, a lot of times we don't stop to think about what it was like. What was it like to live under the bondage of the law? I don't know if you've ever stopped to think what the conditions were like then. But the Romans had basically established peace. And they did it through law and order. They did it through law and order. So knowing that, can you see why it would have been tempting to them to want to hang on to legalism? They were living in pretty much peace. And they knew that, or they thought it was a result of law and order. So it would have been easy for them, at least for their minds, to think, well, of course we've got to keep the law. But you know, Christ came to fulfill the law. He came to absolutely fulfill the law. And you know, at that same point in time, there was widespread use of the Greek language. And so that made communicating with each other much easier. But at the same time, there was several empty religions that had surfaced. And you know, That does what it always does. It causes people to long for the real truth. They are searching for what is missing in their religion. And you know, Jesus is the only one that can provide the answer that people are looking for. And Jesus had the qualifications. He had the qualifications. We know that he was born of a virgin. We know that he lived on the earth. We know that he experienced temptation. We know that he rose above the temptation. We know that he was fully divine and that he was fully man. We know 
that although he was born under the law, he fulfilled the law. And then verse 5 tells us why he came. And it is a beautiful, beautiful verse. He came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Remember, we're talking about from slaves to sons this morning. This is why he came. You know, we we sang the one song this morning, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Christ came to redeem us. He came to redeem us. It happens as a free gift. But we've got to understand that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn His grace. We simply cannot do it. Grace is a free gift that occurs as part of our salvation. No amount of human effort can ever earn that. And then we see in verse 6, And because you are sons... Remember, from slaves to sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And you know that word Abba, it's it's the equivalent of saying Daddy. And it's meant to show us the closeness that children of Jesus have with the Father. I wonder, have you experienced that closeness today? You know, a slave would not have that same closeness. And if we are trying to follow any form of legalism, we will not experience that closeness because it comes only through the Spirit. It comes only through the Spirit. I wonder, have you experienced that today? So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son then an heir through God. Is that not beautiful? So under grace, we go from being a slave to the bondage of a law, of the law to being sons and heirs through Jesus Christ. Grace is adulthood. Why would anybody want to revert back to the law following legalism? Because that represents childhood. Now Paul is reminding them here that prior to them knowing God, they were actually enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Previously, some of these people had worshipped pagan gods, such as Zeus and Hermes. But then in verse 9, when they believed in Jesus, they experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is is actually appealing to their senses here and asking them a question. Since you've experienced this grace, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? And by the way, if you do that, you're going to make yourself a slave once more. Why would you want to do that? Again, he's appealing to their senses. Remember, Paul went there, he taught, he preached to them, they accepted his message. And then he left, false teaching crept in, and now they are making the intentional decision to revert back to legalism. 
Verse 10, when we first look at that, it doesn't appear to be that unusual, does it? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Don't we seem to do the same thing? Don't we have a calendar? Don't we know typically what day it is, what month it is, what season that it's in? So this doesn't seem to be that unusual, but it is significant. What Paul is reminding them of here is that they have gone back to observing the the Mosaic calendar, and they are doing that in an attempt to gain God's favor. Remember, there is no amount of anything that you can do by yourself that will gain God's favor. It simply will not happen. Again, salvation is based on faith in Christ alone. Now, I've said many times before that I really believe Paul is a very straightforward straightforward person. When you read any of the books in the Bible that Paul wrote, we usually do not have to wonder what Paul was thinking because he says it. I think he is a very, very bold person. And look what he says in verse 11. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I am afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. I wonder this morning, have you ever experienced anything like that? Have you ever experienced that same feeling that Paul is describing here? Maybe there's been somebody that you have simply poured your life into and you thought you saw signs that they were following Christ. And then all of a sudden they disappear. Maybe they revert back to a sinful lifestyle. Maybe they get their feelings hurt. It could be any one of a number of things. But suddenly it's just like For some reason, it becomes easier for them to disappear than to continue to follow the Lord. I wonder, have you ever ever experienced a situation like that? And if you have, if you have, you might be tempted to think what Paul wrote here. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. But can I tell you something this morning? Anything that you do for the kingdom of Jesus Christ is never ever in vain it's not we have got to realize that christ works in ways that our eyes cannot see and in many times in ways that our minds don't understand so we have got to be faithful and share when jesus opens the door and leave the results to him each day we need to seek the lord we need to hear from him and then we need to do what he says and leave the results to him But Paul is trying to grab the attention of these people here by saying, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And can't you understand why he would have thought that? He he devoted a lot of effort to these people. And now it seems like that they are going back to the same practices they had prior, prior to him ever preaching to them. He goes on in verse 12 just to remind them, hey, remember when I came here. Remember, you treated me really, really well. They had heard his message. They had received it. It looked like they were following it. But then he explains that, you know, while I was there, I got sick. And you still treated me really well. And I think that brings up a really good point. 
You know, people in ministry are not exempt from sickness. People in ministry are not exempt from trials of the world. Paul was not exempt from it either, but he goes on to tell them, but remember, remember, although this was a trial to you or for you when I got sick, you did not scorn or despise me, but look what he said they did. They received him as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So he reminds them of exactly how they had received him. And then look at verse 15. He's basically saying, what's happened to you? What has happened to you? What's become of this? And he reminds them that, hey, while I was with you, if I had needed your eyes, you would have gouged them out and given them to me. Can you imagine that? That's the relationship they had. And he's basically saying here, what's happened to you? What has happened? How could you possibly have experienced grace and now intentionally choose legalism? And then verse 16 is one of those verses that I'll have to say stings when you read it. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And you know what? Sometimes that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Sometimes people have no desire to hear the truth, especially if sin is involved. And when they see that, hey, he's not going to back down from the word of God, it becomes easier to make that person the enemy than it does to address the problem in the first place. So Paul is saying here, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? And that's exactly what's happened here. These Judaizers had convinced the Galatians that Paul was not even a legitimate apostle. Do, do, you, do you actually realize that? They were, they were saying over and above, you've got to choose legalism. Here's why. Because that man, Paul, that says he's an apostle, he's not really real. He's not really real because if he was, he would be preaching legalism. And they believed it. They believed it. And you know what they did? They shunned him. It was the impact of being shunned. They had made him their enemy because he told the truth. But Paul exposes the motives of the Judaizers. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Remember I said Paul doesn't hold much back. He doesn't hold much back at all. He's reminding these people, I'm burdened for you. I am burdened for you. It's like I'm experiencing childbirth. I'm that burdened. I wonder, have I ever been that burdened for anybody spiritually? Have you? How many times have we, had, have we been burdened? For someone that we would say, I'm as burdened as I would be if I were in childbirth. 
if I'm being transparent with you today, there's not been many times in my life that I would say that I have been burdened to that degree for anybody's spiritual condition. Should I be? Absolutely. Should you be? Absolutely. Are we burdened for the lost? Do we truly carry a burden for the lost? We need to, but do we? How burdened are we? And then Paul reminds them in verse 20, something I think is so relevant today. How many times have you received a text or an email and you misinterpreted the tone that it was written in? It's easy to do. You receive a text and maybe you're having a bad day and the, the, maybe the text just looks like it's somebody that is saying something they're not even saying. You can get defensive and it may be an honest situation. They might not have meant anything by it at all. But Paul, remember, he is writing a letter here to them and he is telling them, I wish I could be with you because if I was right now, I would be changing my tone. I can imagine him saying, my voice would be louder. You would be able to see how upset I am with the decision that you have made. Again, he is trying to appeal to them to get their attention, to let them realize that what you are doing is foolish. It is absolutely foolish. And as we move to this last section of verses this morning, I spent quite a bit of time on these last few verses, and what the Lord finally told me to do on these was something completely different than I thought it was to start with. I want you to hear the remainder of these verses together. And as you hear these verses, you're going to hear a lot of information. And I want you to try to let your mind wrap around, okay, of all these people, of all these names, of all these places that I am hearing right now, where do they fit? If we had them on a chart, and we're going to here in just a minute, but where would they fit? I want to remind you that not one word of Scripture is there by accident. Not one word. It is there for a purpose. And the remaining verses of this chapter this morning definitely have a purpose. So listen to the word of the Lord. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is her mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
But just as at the time he was, who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So what is happening here as we look at this last section of verses, we are going to see that once again, Paul is combating legalism. And this time he does it through the process that is called allegory. And if you were reading along with me just then, you will remember in one of those verses, he even says this can be interpreted or applied allegorically. And maybe you've heard the word, but you might not exactly remember what that means. So here's what it is. It is a spiritual or a symbolic interpretation of a story that also has a literal meaning. And we see a lot of that happening here. Paul is giving the example of Abraham and the difficulties that he had with his two wives and his two sons. Now the the two sons' names are Isaac and Ishmael. And you know, we know a lot from Scripture about both of those. We know that Isaac's mother was Sarah. And we know that she was a free woman. And for the purpose of this example, she represents grace. She represents grace. Ishmael, on the other hand, his mother's name was Hagar. And what was she? She was a slave. She was a slave. And for our example this morning from Scripture, she represents the law. Now, the birth of Ishmael was an ordinary birth to Abraham and his slave. But remember from Scripture, the birth of Isaac was not at all like that because Sarah was a free woman. And not only that, she was very old. This birth was the promise that God gave in Genesis chapter 12. And then in verse 24 is where we see Paul mention that this can be interpreted allegorically. Now just as there was conflict, our scripture said this morning, between Isaac and Ishmael. And if you read more in the Old Testament, you'll see way more about what that conflict is. But just as there was conflict between those two brothers, guess what else there's a conflict between? Grace, represented by Isaac and his mother Sarah, and the law or legalism that's represented by Ishmael and his mother Hagar. Sarah, we see, represents a covenant, as does Hagar. Now, Sarah represents the Abrahamic covenant or freedom. Hagar represents the Mosaic covenant or slavery. And remember, Paul is very intentional when he uses this example. Remember earlier I told you, especially in the part where we were talking about them observing days and months, all of that about the calendar, they were observing 
the Mosaic calendar or the Mosaic covenant. He's using this to try to jog them into a rational decision. Hey, you're intentionally choosing slavery. Why would you ever do that after being a son? Because grace brings forth free children. And then we see in verses 25 and 26 that Paul compares these two women to two different Jerusalems. And look who Sarah represents. The heavenly city of God or eternal life. But that is not at all what Hagar represents. She represents first city, century Jerusalem, and those people were enslaved by the law. And once again, the people that Paul is writing to would have definitely known that. They would have known that. So Sarah, who represents grace, remember she was initially barren. But what happened to her? She ended up with so many spiritual children that they couldn't even be numbered. Isn't that amazing? She eventually surpassed the younger Hagar. So I wonder this morning, as we prepare to close, did did you notice from our scripture there near the end that persecution is mentioned? Now just as Isaac was subject to Ishmael's persecution, the early Christians were also subject to persecution from the legalists. Many of you have heard me say before from this very pulpit, I am convinced that if we live long enough and Jesus does not come back first, we will see persecution right here in the United States. I wonder, are we ready for it? When it comes, what will we do? Will we realize that we have received grace in Jesus Christ? Or will we try to revert back to the law or legalism? Will we make the intentional decision that we're going to be free because we have grace? That's the only way it comes. We either accept the grace of Jesus or we don't. And if we do, we've got freedom. The resulting option is to choose slavery. I wonder which one, which one have we chosen? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know you can do that this morning. You can do that this morning. We would love to talk to you and tell you more about Jesus and why you need to have a relationship with him. And as I always share when I preach, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you don't know how to become a Christian. You know, I think so often we've been guilty of making it difficult. And you know, it is so easy, as you've heard me say many times, it really is as easy as we tell children in Bible school that it is. We've got to go through the ABCs of Christianity. We've got to admit that there's sin in our life. And we've got to realize, hey, this doesn't honor God. 
we've got to realize that that sin has made a separation between us and God. We've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He came to be the Savior of the world, that He was born of a virgin, just like our Scripture said this morning, that He came to redeem us. And the way He did that is because He loved us so much that He died for us on the cross so that we could have eternal life. He loved us that much. It is truly a free gift, but we have to accept it. We have to accept it in order to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. And then the C in the ABCs of Christianity, it stands for confess. We've got to admit that that sin doesn't please Jesus. We've got to confess our sins to Jesus and then ask him to forgive us. And that involves repenting and turning. And following Jesus is actually the most difficult part about it. Accepting him as your savior, asking him to be your Lord and savior is easy. It's living for him after that that is the difficult part. But if we choose, if we choose grace, the outcome is eternal life. We get freedom and we get eternal life if we choose the law or legalism. We're in the bondage of slavery and we will always be enslaved to the law until the day of eternity comes and then it will not be spent in heaven. I wonder which of these two categories are you in today? Are you like Isaac or are you like Ishmael? Are you like Sarah, or do you more identify with Hagar? I want you to know today, Jesus is the answer. He is the only one that can provide eternal life. And I wonder, do you know him today? Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Father, I confess those times that, that even though... I know you have extended your grace to me that I still tried to bring up mistakes of the past. And Father, your word tells us that those things, when you forgive us of those things, that they are as far as the east is from the west and that you remember them no more. Father, help us to remember that. Help me to remember that your grace is truly amazing. Father, I pray now that you will take the word that has just been preached. I pray that you will transform lives. Father, I pray that if there is someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that this will be the day that they will surrender their life to you. Father, I pray that you will simply do great and mighty things in this place today. Father, thank you for coming to redeem us. Thank you for being my Savior. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.